And good afternoon. This is uh, Charles Moskowitz uh, doing my live stream, a special edition here on Saturday. Um, I just got back from synagogue where I had the opportunity to speak with a Professor Rubenstein from NYU, Jeffrey Rubenstein, who is the author of many books on the Talmud and who is a Hebraic and uh, Talmud studies professor at that college. And uh, I had the opportunity to ask him some questions that had been on my mind about Talmud, which is not something that I know a lot about. I'm not a scholar of the Talmud. Um, but that had been brought up by none other than uh, Dr. E. Michael Jones on my program, who is the author of The Jewish Revolutionary Spirit. Um, and um, and he uh, has some interesting answers, but I want to share some of my thoughts on that right now. But let me just give out the number. This is a live program, and you're welcome to call. The program is carried on um, YouTube, Facebook, uh, Periscope, and Twitch. And um, it also downloads as a podcast um, into uh, various uh, venues as well. So you're welcome to join the program, and the number is 617-396-4830, 617-396-4830. So I, I spoke with um, Professor uh, Jeffrey Rubenstein about the Talmud, and I asked him, did he feel that the Talmud, as which is the cr traditional Christian view, as expressed by E. Michael Jones, um, did the Talmud reinvent Judaism? Did it create a new religion, in a sense, that was not connected to the Torah and the temple and, and uh, the sacrifice and the worship? And his answer was kind of a nuanced yes and no. He said that Judaism evolved from the first temple period into the second temple period, which, uh, and then from the second temple period into the rabbinic Talmudic period, which really was launched um, after the destruction of the Second Temple in 70 AD. Um, but I, I did point out to him that, that the contention is that by creating a new religion, the Talmud was not consistent with the Torah and its moral and ethical precepts. Now, Jeffrey Rubenstein is a liberal, so he's influenced by some of these very self-same revolutionary forces maybe not consciously and not wittingly, that Michael Jones accurately writes about. And which he says that, yes, it's true that they've, they might have reinterpreted some things. I, I'll just say, say that even though I'm not a Talmud expert, I really reject that. I've talked to enough Torah true rabbis to know that the Talmud does not reinvent the Torah. The Talmud leaves open questions. It's based on the, actually the Greek Socratic method, the Platonic method of a roundtable discussion where many points of views are left in and questions are left in to be answered. It doesn't definitively answer any question. It's commentary, really, on the Torah. But that the, the goal of the Torah true rabbis who made up the Talmudic discourse was to try to get to the real meaning of the Torah. What God meant when he handed the Torah to 
the children of Israel and thus all of mankind at Sinai. What did God have in mind? Why did he put in various laws and rules and regulations around personal relations, around business relations, around national relations? How is this document, um, you know, meant to be applied to the everyday life of the Judean, later known as the Jew, uh, in such a way that they can continue their faith without the temple and without the sacrifice and continue on their on the mission of, of, of Judaism, which I'm going to get into in a minute. Um, and his answer was wishy-washy, I thought, but the fact is that I, I do believe and I do contend that the rabbis that, that codified the Talmud, um, they, their purpose was to not rewrite the Torah. It wasn't like a, a Supreme Court judge who makes it up on the bench. It was they were trying to adhere to the Torah and apply the Torah to modern conditions without contradicting it. And that there have been situations where the Torah was, you know, I guess you have to say slightly changed in order to meet conditions. And this started with Rabbi Hillel. The Hillel Society is named after Hillel. And let me just point out one thing about Hillel. Hillel was a Babylonian Jew who came to Judea, Roman Judea, with several other scholars, and he was famous and revered in his lifetime as a great Jew. And um, he came up with what's called a prose bowl, which is a rule by which, for lack of a better word, the Jewish community could circumvent a certain Torah commandment without actually violating the commandment and with leaving in place the moral and ethical lesson of that commandment. And in this case, the prose bowl had to do with the fact that Jerusalem had undergone a siege by the Romans. At the time, the, it was ruled by King Antigonus, who was a Hasmonean son and who was allied with the Persians, and thus the Romans wanted to oust him and replace him. And they laid siege to Jerusalem in the seventh year, the Shemitah year, which meant that under Torah traditions, there hadn't been a harvest because the land is supposed to be left fallow for a year so that it can rest in the same way that on the seventh day of creation, God rested and the Jewish people are supposed to rest on the Sabbath, which Christians also adapted and adopted, and they, but they changed the day from Saturday to Sunday, which is fine. Muslims changed it from Saturday to Friday, uh, maybe as a way to differentiate themselves. But nevertheless, the principle was there, but the people starved to death. It was a terrible catastrophe. People were, the city was weakened, and the Romans were able to go in and slaughter the, the, the Jews. And, and it was a terrible loss. And so the country was searching for what to do about this. And the prose bull basically allowed for the land, as it were, to be sold to a non-Jew for a dollar. And thus they could continue to harvest it in that year. Because otherwise, you know, it was to save lives. It was, there's a the Jewish expression for that is pakuach nefesh, to save a life. And so there was a way around it, while at the same time technically leaving the law in place, 
and also spiritually and morally leaving the Lauren place because the idea of the seventh year and the seventh day would be continued to be a cornerstone of Jewish understanding and Jewish thought. Now, while I'm on the subject of Hillel, let me just point out that Hillel was a contemporary of Jesus, of Nazareth, according to most people who write about uh, this period. And given the fact, given the fame of Hillel, and given the fame of Jesus, who was a, had a huge following, I don't think it's unreasonable to assume that they probably had a meeting. And I also don't think it's unreasonable to assume that Hillel was impressed by Jesus and that Jesus was impressed by Hillel. Hillel was a very spiritual man because Jesus spoke of some of the same principles that Hillel was promoting at that time. And I'm going to mention as a basis that the most famous of Hillel's statements at that time was that he was asked by a Roman citizen to describe Judaism while standing on one foot, as he said. In other words, in one or two, one sentence, could you tell me what it is that the Jew believes in? And Hillel's answer was very simple. He said, we believe in the Lord our God, the King of the universe, blessed be he, is the one God, and all of the moral and ethical precepts that are connected to that God, we believe in that. And we, call, and we believe that you should love your neighbor as yourself, out of which comes the concept of tikkun olam, prepare the, you know, repair the world, make the world a better place, based upon knowledge. And Jesus, I think, echoed that sentiment in his Sermon on the Mount, and Christianity echoes that sentiment as well. Um, what I would say before getting back to the Talmud is that E. Michael Jones's theory is based on the idea that somehow because Jews didn't accept Jesus as the Messiah, we lost, our, we lost the logos, we lost our mission, we lost our meaning. And then he goes into a long and very good and accurate history of radical revolutionary Jews and how they have tried to subvert the moral and order of, of the world, and they have. He's absolutely right about that. He does a brilliant job with that. The point I would make is that this was not based upon their Judaism, however, because they perverted the Hillel idea. Now, the reason they did it, I get into that in one of my books, and Michael Jones touches on it as well, is because they fell under the influence of this false messiah by the name of Shabte Zvi, very evil man, different subject. I'll get into that in another time. But the point is that they did not embrace the first half of the Hillel concept, the idea that the Lord God, King of the universe, is the lawgiver, is the creator, and that everything emanates from that one principle, from that oneness, from that worship, and that that worship involves an attempt to understand all of the moral and ethical precepts that emanate from that, and that those are ethical and moral precepts that are given by God, not created by man. They are immutable. They are beyond the ability of man to manipulate. But the problem is that the left-wing Jews, starting with Shabtai Zvi and onward, they cut off the first half of the Hillel statement, and they only focused on the second half, love your neighbor as yourself, which without the first half became perverted. It became an idea that they had some kind of a divine right to 
change the world by use of force of arms and subversion, that they had a right to overthrow God in essence and essentially, even if they're not consciously trying to do that, and many of them are and have. So it's not because Judaism is a revolutionary faith. Judaism is a conservative faith, a, a faith based upon belief in God, belief in family, belief in knowledge, belief in wisdom, education, improving the world based upon and operating within the context of the belief in that God and belief in those precepts. Not this revolutionary Jew who came out and, and, and E. Michael Jones gets into the very worst of them and it's, it's painful to read, you know, like, like Philip Roth and, and, uh, and, and Woody Allen and several other people like that who they're at war with the West, they're, they hate Christianity, but they're also rebelling against Judaism. They are, you know, rebelling against God. They're trying to pervert and subvert our culture and human nature. So they're not real Jews, I would argue. They're bad Jews. I mean, they're Jews, but they're very bad Jews. And, uh, but getting back to the Talmud, the Talmud is not a reinvention of Judaism. The Talmud is commentary. It doesn't replace the Torah. The Torah is, has remained, and continues to be the center of Jewish life. When you go into the synagogue and pray, the morning prayers, afternoon and evening prayers, that is Talmud. I mean, that is Torah, excuse me. <laughs> um, there's some Talmud commentary, but it is Torah that is the prayer. The Siddur is Torah. You know, the, the Shabbat service is Torah. The holidays are Torah. The Torah is what animates us. That is what we look to, the book. The Talmud is commentary. The Talmud helps us understand the Torah and what it really means because there are aspects of the Torah that are very concrete, but there are other aspects that are more shrouded in mystery. So we study Talmud. We look to authorized Torah true rabbis to help us not only understand the Torah, but to apply the Torah to our lives. Now, what is the Jewish mission? What is tikkun olam? Along with our desire to live a, a, an elevated spiritual life, which is the idea of the chosen people, not chosen to rule over other people, not chosen because we're better than anyone, not chosen, it's not a racist concept, because Judaism ultimately is not a race. We may have racial similarities, but you know, ultimately it's a faith and that there always have been people who have become Jews, all the way back to Ruth in the Bible, who was the grandmother of King David and who was a Moabitess. But the idea is that we are, we, we worship knowledge and wisdom and, and trying to live a holier life because we observe a, an extra layer of, of commandments and precepts, and we're here to serve God, not man. We, by serving God and by raising our holiness, set ourselves or try to set ourselves as an example for mankind so that we can help all of mankind, lift all of mankind into, a, into heaven, into a greater state of holiness. You know, in a way, it's very consistent with Catholicism, right? I mean, the traditional Catholic idea of marriage, at least from what I understand, is that the wife 
brings the husband to heaven, raises his holiness, and in the process gets to heaven herself. It's very Jewish, actually. It's very Judaizing, as some anti-Jewish people might say. But the point is that if that mission of improving the world and trying to live a holy life remains integrated with and consistent with the first part of Hillel's statement, which is to know God, to love God, to believe in God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind, then you have the true calling of the Jew, not the truncated calling of the radical revolutionary Jews who are in rebellion against Judaism and all of its precepts. So, that's my thought on the Talmud based upon my brief conversation earlier today at synagogue with Professor Jeffrey Rubenstein from New York University. And uh, you're certainly welcome to, uh, to reach out to this program. Please subscribe on YouTube, please. I mean, I need to get subscribers uh, so that I can really advance this program. You don't have, it's free, it's not, it doesn't cost you anything. You can always cancel if you don't like it. But if you do subscribe on YouTube, you'll get this program and special editions that are unique and exclusive to YouTube. And also my books, they're available on Amazon. Anyways, Charles Moskowitz, thanks for joining me, everybody. Have a great day.